Welcome to Wisdom Trek with Gramps. I am Guthrie Chamberlain, and we are on day 2,296 of our trek. The purpose of Wisdom Trek is to create a legacy of wisdom, to seek out discernment and insights, and to boldly grow where few have chosen to grow before. We are continuing the messages I delivered at Putnam Congregational Church over the past couple of years. This is the fourth of ten messages in our series covering the characters of Christmas. This message is titled, The Songs of the Angels. I pray that it will be a conduit of learning and encouragement for you. I do appreciate everybody being here. Last week, we continued our third character in this Advent series as we explored Mary, the simple girl at the center of everything. And today we continue with our fourth character in the Advent series, but it's characters as we listen to the Song of the Angels. Our hymns today pointed that out, and we want to know what that song was. So our initial scripture today is Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 15, on page 1591 of the Pew Bible. So follow along as I read, starting with verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left and then gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. There's one character, or actually rather a series of characters, that are hovering over and around the Christmas story. Now, they're not quite human, but they're not quite fully divine either, like God or Christ is. And sometimes they seem to float in the background. And at other times, they come to the foreground, announcing the good news of the birth of Christ. We cannot step into any Christmas narrative of this incarnation, the incarnation story within Scripture without running into the angels, as Susan mentioned. Angel was more of a title. It's a messenger. Heavenly beings in the unseen realm with a variety of beauties. Now, we think, seem to think about angels with wings and flowing robes. But most of the time, they appeared in Scripture as humans. And it's just not one type of angel. There are a variety of different types of heavenly beings within the unseen realm. They're described in a few passages in the Bible, some with wings with eyes inside and out, some with faces on all sides, some with wheels within wheels. They're all heavenly beings in the unseen realm. But an angel named Gabriel first shows up in the temple to a stunned priest named Zechariah, and he's minding his business, lighting the incense at the altar of, of God. As we studied a couple weeks ago in Luke chapter 1, verses 11 through 19, and Zechariah trembles, dumbfounded, as the angel announces 
that Zachariah's wife Elizabeth would soon conceive a special Elijah-like son who would be called John the Baptizer. And then six months later, Gabriel shows up again at the home of a poor teenage, teenager named Mary. And here the angel announces an even more impossible conception. A child would be born of a virgin, and this child would be the Son of God. And not once, but twice, the angel was sent to Mary's not-so-sure husband that the conception was indeed from God and not a result of her infidelity. Now, it might just be proving that sometimes thick-headed husbands require that angels have to work a little bit of overtime. Angels, who were the ones who filled that normally quiet Bethlehem sky on the hillside that night, hovering or standing among the shepherds, in that field, announcing that these lowly men, that something big, something extraordinary was happening in their sleepy town of Bethlehem. Now, the first Christmas pageant wasn't written by songwriters in Nashville, but by messengers from heaven. Angels didn't appear just to announce good news. God sent them to protect the baby king from an illegitimate and ruthless king called Herod. An angel disrupted the sleep of the Magi and redirected their journey home, thwarting the ruthless Herod's plan to end the life of the life giver. An angel came and stood with Joseph a third time. Imagine, he was probably wondering, will I ever get a full night's sleep anymore without being visited by these angels? But he was told to pack up his family and head to Egypt, and he packed up that same night, and they left during the night, escaping Herod's sword. You can't tell the Christmas stories without talking about heavenly messengers, heavenly beings, whether what we think of as angels or some other type of heavenly being. And indeed, those heavenly creatures are witnesses to the redemption. What it would look like to view Jesus' birth from their vantage point, to climb the summit of the past, we must travel back before that not-so-silent night in Bethlehem. Before Gabriel's appearance in the temple, we have to go clear back to Genesis. So the Bible tells us in Job chapter 38, verses 6 and 7, what supports its foundation and who laid its cornerstone as the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Many times in scripture when it refers to the morning stars, it's referring to these angelic creatures that are praising God, singing together. There is a lot of mystery about these beings. Still, angels were created by and for Christ. We don't often think about creation, the creation story. We think about how the earth was formed. But prior to that, these angelic beings were created. In Colossians chapter 1.16, it says, For in him all things were created, the things in heaven and on earth, visible, what we can see, and invisible, the unseen realm, whether the thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And the thrones and powers and rulers and authorities are talking about the heavenly beings. Those are part of God's divine counsel. Angels sometimes appear in human form to accomplish earthly missions. But unlike humans, they seem to have 
this sense of uh, supernatural power. Angels are also imagers of God with emotion, intellect, and a will to choose whether to continue to follow God or to reject him. How many angels are there in this unseen realm? We might wonder. We don't know. But Hebrews chapter 12, 20, verse 22 says, No, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. And also in other places, such as Psalm 68 and Revelation chapter 5, it talks about 10,000 upon 10,000 angels, meaning a number that cannot be counted. The angels serve a variety of roles in scriptures. They advocate for us, they protect us, they make war, they make announcements, they teach, they comfort, and they guide. Just as we will one day participate in God's divine counsel with those who are part of the unseen realm, we will work with those angelic cre creations and worship that triune God. The angels witness God's creation process, watching the wonders as the Trinity the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit spoke the universe into existence in Genesis 1 and Job chapter 38. Now, there was a variety of animals and plants that fit into God's perfect ecosystem of beauty. And the artist of heaven, as he swabbed this canvas of his creation across the universe, at each level of mastery, God heard, God, they heard God declare of his work, this is good. But amid God's spectacular work, something was still missing. The canvas of a creation was still incomplete. Because of this, there was a divine pause in the heavens. And this is where I imagine that the angels, gasping in amazement as God had not made the earth to be an untouched museum, but a creative studio. The earth needed a unique kind of being, an artist who would image his creator and take up the instruments of his creation and do their own creating. So God speaks in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Moses, who is the presumed author of Genesis, narrates the crafting of the human life with rich language. He talks about God reaching down to earth, picking up handfuls of dust, and sculpting man in this dust. And then he breathed life into this new created being to be the first human. And from this flesh and blood, God sculpts a woman, again forms flesh and blood and sinew. Humans would be a new and distinct type of creature. Humans would have souls. Humans would have spirits. Humans would be made to image God. At all of this, we know that the heavenly, heavenly beings spontaneously rejoiced, as I read in Job chapter 38, all the morning stars sang together, and the angels shouted for joy. The scene was a glorious moment, but it was also a divine risk on the angels' perspective. All of a sudden, their realm was being invaded by this new creation that God placed on the earth. God had no need for intimacy with another kind of being to find fulfillment in himself. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit commune, commune with uninterrupted intimacy for eternity past to eternity future. 
Every other part of creation would forever stoop and worship the creator in some manner that even is beyond our comprehension. This new kind of being that God created, humankind, is desired by God to complete his divine counsel to rule and to reign with him. Humankind can choose either to love God or to reject God. God did not need, but chose and desired both angelic creations and human companions to fulfill his purpose. Now, we don't know for sure, but it is believed that in this heavenly realm of creatures that were created before humans, we refer to them as angels or messengers, but we know that they're in this unseen realm and they take the form of very many different types of creatures. Humankind was created and placed in the Garden of Eden to be stewards of this new creation of God, this global earth that God had created. And he placed them in a small portion in Eden and they were to expand this Eden to a global kingdom to rule and to reign over. We were designed to be part of God's divine counsel over the earth to help to rule and to reign what he created. Now, probably out of jealousy and pride, we don't really know for sure, but not all the creatures in the unseen realm were pleased with God's new plan, or new to them at least. Some of these angelic creatures decided to spoil God's plan for this new world that he created. Now, God foreknew this in his plan, that it would run into what would seem to be problems, but it was all part of God's design. God designed it this way so he would sacrifice his own son, Jesus Christ, and then return back to earth at some point yet in the future to restore that Eden, but not just a small garden in the Middle East, but to a global Eden, which humans were to expand the original creation. God sacrificed his son for us. Now Christmas is the reason and the purpose of this first advent for Jesus Christ coming to earth not as a king, but as a babe. This new and beautiful world that God had created in Genesis turned dark that terrible day that Adam and Eve chose to disobey God. Sin began its slow and sure decay, marbling into every sliver of God's beautiful world. As earthly imagers of God, we made a destructive alliance with the enemy and then were thrust out of the garden. The angelic beings of this unseen realm are aware of God's attributes. They know that he is not surprised by anything. They watched and are used as members of his divine counsel in heaven to bring about God's glory, even at what appeared to be a tragic turn of events. They listen to God's word of judgment and hope as those who disobeyed God, which was a nakash, which is that we describe as a serpent, some sort of heavenly creature, turned Adam and Eve's heart against God. He's later referred to as the Satan, which is more of a title. But he pointed to that nakash and says, and I will cause hostility between you and the woman, between your offsprings and her offspring. 
you will strike, he will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. Angels watched and wondered as God's plans unfold, but they would also participate many times throughout the Old Testament. And certainly during this Advent season, that first Advent leading up to the birth of Christ, those angelic beings of the unseen realm would remain loyal to God to see the work of this Nakash, this Satan, and his cohorts that chose to follow this new evil creature as he assumed control as the prince of the power of the air. So likewise, they see and engage in God's unfolding plan to rescue the beloved creation that God created and its twisting and often agonizing story. And during that time of the Old Testament and during those 400 silent years where with only small rays of what the redemption would be. The angels watch as sin overwhelmed the human race with, corrupted, with corruption while God rescues and restores his earth with a single family, which was Noah. The angels observe and assist God in pursuing an idol-worshiping pagan named Abraham who followed with threadbare faith into a journey unknown. And out of Abraham, he built people his own who at times would follow him and at times would defy his direction. In, the, in that nation of Israel, which he called out as a holy nation, he chooses one out of that and plucks him out of the nation, an obscure shepherd boy named David, the youngest of all his brothers. And from this fragile warrior king would emerge the seeds of a new kingdom, more significant than this nation of Israel. But the angels also followed the dark fingerprints of this Satan and his cohorts. Generation after generation, the people of God face those foes, both internal and external. Cycles of idolatry and repentance eventually lead to judgment and being conquered and taken away. Kings and queens channel the spirit of this evil one in attempts to snuff out that future promise. But God keeps his promises and preserves a remnant within Israel the angel listens to the prophets as a warn of judgment, but the promise of a future king and a kingdom, one that would take the curse of Eden and fold it back to what it was originally intended to be, and God will bring about in the future his new global Eden. His divine council members are present as God scatters Israel to the nations and then gathers back a remnant to the land. But when that final prophet speaks, silence for four centuries would ensue, and God's people would become pawns of nations' wars. False messiahs would appear on the scene, teasing weary and cynical people of Israel, that faint and false hope of salvation. And then, finally, they would be summoned back again. First, Gabriel would announce the coming of the king and messiah to establish a God's kingdom that will never end. The council of the heavenly creatures can hardly believe or understand what is about to unfold. And certainly the evil one did not understand fully what God's plan was. Because if they had, they would have never crucified our Lord. But when the final prophet speaks, there was a silence. The council 
would realize God's new creation, that the creator wouldn't just rescue his creation, the son would become human, like his creation on earth. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, the son became flesh and blood. He wouldn't appear in dazzling robes or a white hot splendor. He wouldn't blink or blind the eyes on Mount, as he did on Mount Sinai or boom with a voice from heaven like he did in Eden. But he would enter the world as a vulnerable, dependent, fragile baby. The angels announced to Zechariah, to Mary and Joseph, they flood the earth with celebration to the shepherds, and they warned the Magi. The angels were also there as Jesus grew into adulthood. His hour of temptation in the wilderness, they refreshed him and proved that the second Adam would flourish where the first Adam had failed. They strengthened Jesus as he accepted that cup of wrath from God in the Garden of Gethsemane. And yet, they were absent. It is crucifixion. But at Jesus' request, they were. They could, he could have summoned 10,000 angels to free him, to sweep away the Roman executioners. And also, after he was crucified, they sat with white robes atop the stone, wondering and watching who the first visitors would be as they came to understand the meaning of Jesus' empty tomb. The angels knew that he would rise. The angels knew that the power of God was over sin and death in the grave. And yet they played their part within this redemption story. This was the end of Jesus' earthly ministry as he ascended back to heaven, but not the end of his work. As Jesus ascended, they chastised those puzzled disciples as they looked into the heavens in Acts chapter 1, verse 11, the men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Angels were there when the Spirit of God descended and birthed a new movement here on earth from those fledging disciples, that band of disciples that have followed Christ for all those years. These previously fearful men went throughout Israel and eventually in the entire known world of the day. At times, the angels were summoned again into action, freeing the apostles from prison, sending Philip on an evangelistic assignment, appearing to the Roman Gentile Cornelius as a sign that God's gospel was spreading to all nations of the world, Jew and Gentile. He released Peter from prison and he took the li angels took the life of the wicked King Herod who had Jesus' brother James killed. The angels watched in amazement as Jesus transformed Saul, that persecutor, into an apostle. The angel guided this messenger to the Gentiles through shipwreck and into Caesar's court. And in the New Testament, at least, the last we see of these angels traveling to the remote island of Patmos, narrating a vision of the end of the age to the last remaining apostle. John's revelation shows that these angelic creatures leading the new Jerusalem in, in worship, as every nation gathered, every tongue and every tribe around the throne of God in Revelation chapter 4, verse 8, and these are one of the angelic beings 
that we see. It says, each of these living beings had six wings. Their wings were covered all over with eyes, inside and out. Day after day, night after night, they kept, kept on saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who has always was, who is, and who is still to come. So the question we must ask ourselves, are we hearing the angels? And to do so, let's travel back to that night in Bethlehem under the stars, to the shepherd's fields, that quiet that was punctuated most by an occasional bleeding of a sheep. The rest of the world, from the marbled halls of Rome to Herod's palace, it was just an ordinary night for them. It was a time of peace in Rome and the entire empire. History, it seemed, to be running on an even plane. But the angels and then the heavenly host knew that they knew that the fullness of time had come, as Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 tells us. And all of human history was funneled into this single moment to this birth of Christ. The baby was to be born in a cave or, or an outlet in a nearby village. Few knew that night. Few cared. Babies are born every minute of every day throughout the world. The angelic creatures knew, though, that something was up. The same creator who breathed life into human would breathe his first breath as a human in subjection to the world that he had made. This would not be Jesus just pretending to be a baby. He became flesh and dwelt among us. The angel song is just the beginning of an ongoing course of creativity. The incarnation stirs in us something that's a beautiful worship, like Mary's Magnificat, Elizabeth's Beatitude, Zachariah's Benedictus. And next year, during Advent season, we'll look at Simeon, and he has a song also called the Nuc Dimittis. The heavenly host rejoiced and sang because the incarnation revealed God's glory, his love, and his holiness. Paul would later write to first, in 1 Timothy chapter 3.16, Without question, this is the great mystery of our faith. Christ was revealed in a human body and vindicated by the Spirit. He was seen by angels and announced to the nations. He was believed in throughout the world and taken to heaven glory. The songwriter Charles Wesley beckoned us to listen to the songs of the angel at Christmas, to hark the herald angels sing. But what were these heralds, these messengers saying? Specifically, what were they saying to us? To us, 21 centuries later, it's a word that this broken, seemingly obstinate world is not all there is. On that night in Bethlehem, few people heard the chorus. Now, some did, like the shepherds, whose heart were soft and turned to the Almighty. Mary and Joseph heard the message. Zachariah and Elizabeth heard the message. The Magi heard the message. And those waiting in anticipation heard the message, like Simeon and Anna. Now, if you expect Christ, if you accept Christ, if you seek him, he will come and you will hear from him. But you will not hear from the angels if you disbelieved like the scribes and the religious leaders did. This is not a call to some sort of generic belief like the holiday classics would have us to think. 
Not an urge to just believe in some nebulous Christmas spirits. Instead, this is to allow us to follow that spirit with open our eyes to the unseen, like Elijah's servant, or Elijah the servant, who suddenly saw all the heavenly realm before him. Daniel saw this heavenly vision. John saw this heavenly vision of that unseen realm that we will one day see. To believe is to read the scripture, to hear a distant sound of those angel voices. To believe is to fall on our knees in adoration, to follow the creator who first gave us life. And what a glorious day that will be. The angel said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. In other words, those who experience peace have to have their hearts cleansed by the sacrifice of the, that their Christ child would bring. And then your bulletin insert on the side with the angel and the shepherds around him, it says, while the shepherds watch their flocks at night, the angel was there. And I like this picture, and that's why I put it in the bulletin insert for a couple, actually three reasons. One, he was standing among the shepherds. And that's what the scripture tells us. He came was among the shepherds. Secondly, he doesn't have wings. He looks like a human. And every angel we have in our house, one, they have wings, and second, they're all women, which I would say women are probably more angelic than most men are. But thirdly, in this, cap this picture, it captures there's also women shepherds among the shepherds. Many times during the Old Testament and into the New Testament, Women were actually shepherds also. In Christ, who came to earth, and there's no division between men and women, between slave and free, between Jews and Gentiles, we're all brought in as one. And this is why this picture had significance to me. The peace Jesus brought wasn't a, a first world peace of some ethereal notion of unity that we might have in the world. Instead, he brought peace between God and man who was separated at the fall. Peace toward those who accept the sacrifice of the final Passover lamb. Now, the angelic beings in the heavenly realm, they have a special relationship with God that we as humans don't have, but they can only watch this unique relationship between God and his earthly people. God loves us and has loved us only in a love that it, humans can experience. Angels can never know the love in the same manner as we do, just like we can't know the type of relationship and love that they have. But 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12 says, Even angels long to look into these things, that relationship between God and man, that God became a human and dwelt among us. Humans are the only created beings who can experience redemption. Angels cannot love God and be loved by God in the same manner as we can. Now, I think all of us would have liked to have been there on that mountainside, that hillside with the shepherds and their sheep. And although the choir of heavenly hosts played a significant role, we on earth have the best part because we are the ones to receive God's grace and redemption. God became human. God redeemed us so that we have a unique blessing of redemption. 
we will praise God for all of eternity. Now, that doesn't mean that we are superior to angels. We are all God, part of God's creation. But we have a role in a relationship that's unique to humans. Angels cannot receive redemption through grace because they don't need to. Yet witnesses to behold the great love for you and me. So as we go throughout this Advent season, throughout this Christmas season, our routines, don't miss this. You realize how much God loves you. You realize the love that he had, that he became sin for us. He loved us beyond our comprehension. He endured the trappings of humanity. He felt pain. He felt agony. He was tempted in all the ways we are, and yet without sin. So he knows and can relate to us in all of our trials and temptations. He dwelt among poor, sinful, wretched people. And why did he do this? Because he loves us. The angelic beings of God's divine counsel in heaven know how much God loves us because they participated in this entire plan of redemption. From creation to consummation, they see Christ pursuing his bride. They were part of this redemption story. The angels have pers perspective that we don't share. Instead, God calls us to walk by faith, which will please God, as Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 tells us. Angels can't exhibit the faith that we have. They can only see and behold God's glory through the faith that we live day in and day out. But by revealing in this Christmas story and meditating it during this Advent season, we can get a tiny glimpse of what those angels must observe of us. And in doing so, we begin to lift our eyes away from the war and the poverty and the racism, the divisions, the disease, the violence of this world. And like the angels, know that our days are being gathered in by God as he gathers in history himself. And as we reflect on that first advent during the season, let us look forward to that second advent. Jesus will come again on that glorious day, and he will be the conquering king at that point. He will usher in perfect justice. He will rule with us as part of that divine council on earth. We will become part of that global Eden as he restores his kingdom throughout the world in perfect harmony with those angelic beings of the unseen realm. We, with those angelic beings, will see that new Jerusalem as it descends from heaven and joins with earth to become one. On the other side of your bulletin insert today, I provided a few Advent reflections for this week. Some things to meditate, to ponder on, to meditate on angels' journey from Eden to Bethlehem to the New Jerusalem, as described in the first part of this chapter. I'd encourage you to read the narratives in Luke 1 and Luke 2, along with Matthew 1 and 2. Compare and contrast the experience of the angels and the experience of humans in God's creation. Take time to write down three ways that you're tempted to be distracted this Christmas from hearing the voice of those angels and worshiping Christ, the Savior. And fifth, 
Just something to speculate on. And my mind goes wild with this one. What are your views on angels and their possible activity in the world today? There are scriptures that reference this, that we have angels that watch over us. Are we open like the angels to be part of that redemption story of Christ coming to earth during the first advent as we look forward to that second advent? And that's the message of the song of the angels today. Now remember, next Sunday, we won't have a Sunday morning service, but we're going to combine it with our Saturday evening Christmas Eve service at 6 p.m. In addition to the special service, which we have several people singing or reading, I'll bring a short message on what it really meant with the innkeeper and room for Jesus. So please read Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7 in preparation for that New Year or Christmas Eve service. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you. We thank you that we were created. We thank you that we have the privilege of knowing Jesus Christ as our Savior, the redemption plan that the angels assisted with and watched from the unseen realms. Occasionally, they would come visibly to be among us. And let us never to lose sight of their role in all of creation, Father, as they sang and shouted for joy. And elsewhere in Scripture where it says, for every believer that turns to you, the angels celebrate. Let us go about this Christmas season honoring and worshiping you and all that we say, all that we do, and to everyone. I pray that this message was a blessing and a time of learning from God's Word. Thank you so much for allowing me to be your guide, your mentor, but most importantly, I am your friend, as I serve you through the Wisdom Trek podcast and journal each day. And as we take this trek of life together, let us always live abundantly, love unconditionally, listen intentionally, learn continuously, lend to others generously. Lead with integrity and leave a living legacy each day. I am Guthrie Chamberlain reminding you to keep moving forward, enjoy your journey, and create a great day every day. See you next time for more wisdom from God's Word.